Amen. And that is so true. My prayer is that you will continue to be transformed. We've been, um, we've been in Romans chapter uh, 12 now. This is the fourth week. And today we'll finish up Romans chapter 12. We're going to be at verse number 14. So if you get your Bibles, we're going to be reading that together in a few moments, seven verses together. Um, but I want to remind you of, uh, of where we've been a little bit because uh, I think Romans chapter 12 actually is a, a continuation of, of Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And I'll remind you of what Paul said. It's probably two of, I think, the most important verses in the Bible. If there's any two verses that I think you should memorize, it would be Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, it's on the screen this morning. If you want to read it with me out loud on the count of three, let's do that together. Therefore, I, oh, I was supposed to count to three. Let's do that. Let me count to three first, and then we'll read it together. One, two, three. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. And I'll just, uh, I pointed these two things out to you before, but first and foremost, God is calling all of us in light of what God has done for us. Notice he says, in view of God's mercy. In other words, as you look back, as you look back upon time, as you look back upon the cross and upon the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in light of what God has done for you, he says, you should offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That means every day, amen? Every day you get up and say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours, God. I'm yours, God. I am yours, God. You offer him yourself. You are living, breathing, and you are offering yourself as a living, breathing person totally to the Lord. And you want to do that because this is your spiritual act of worship. Or as another translation of that original language says, your reasonable act of service. That worship is not just what we do here in Sunday, on Sunday morning, but worship is a part of your entire life. Your life is a life of serving and pleasing God and is an act of worship in your life. And then he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. It's trying to, it's trying to, it's trying to get you to follow the world's pattern. But you must resist that and be transformed from the inside out. God transforms you from the inside out. The world brings conformity from the outside in. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And so we've been talking about that because chapter 12 kind of, kind of lives out this. In other words, what God has done in us then gives us the power to live it out in our everyday life. How we use our gifts, our talents, the way we love one another as we talked about last week. And today we're going to talk about how we love the world, how we love people outside of the church. So let's read Romans chapter 12, starting at verse number 14. Stand with me if you have your Bibles. It's only seven verses long, so it won't take long. 
But this is the very end of Romans chapter 12, starting at verse number 14 and reading down to the end of the chapter. Here's what the word of God says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Now, Lord, would you help us to hear your word preached? Would you help us to receive a word from you today? Would you do as only you can do, take what is, what is spoken and, and apply it to our lives? Help us, O oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, before I get started, let me just say a couple of other things. First of all, uh, I met some brand new folks here today that are here for the very first time. Welcome to church today. I, I'm, I'm looking for that family. Where are, There you guys are. They're neighbors from across the street. They've got four beautiful children, three um, that are walking upright and one being carried. So um, we're great, great to have you here. And um, so make sure you greet them um, before you leave today. Also met... Uh, Tracy and Harper back there in the back row. You guys wave back there, would you? Tracy and Harper, great to have you guys here. They've been coming since um, about the end of July, and uh, it's great to have them here as well. So praise God. Remember, we're a family here, right? And what do family do? Family greets one another. Family gets to know one another. Family want to reach out to one another. So make sure you continuously do that. I can't introduce everybody publicly, um, but once in a while... You know, I embarrass a few people. So if I embarrass you guys today, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for that. All right. Um, so today we are in Romans chapter 14. Um, you know, there was a, there was a story to told of a woman and her husband who came to a pastor and said, we're going to get a divorce, but we want to come to make sure that you approve it, Pastor. And I thought to myself, you know, how many times over the last, you know, 30 years of ministry being a pastor that I've had people come to me and um, they, they want me to bless something that I don't necessarily agree with. It always puts the pastor in an awkward position, you know. You have to kind of navigate that easily and um, with a lot of love and a lot of grace, but a lot of truth as well. Remember, we learned last week that love is also love expressed in truth. And uh, so this pastor responds to this couple and says, well, um, you know, you know the, the couple saying that we just don't have any feelings for each other anymore. We just don't really love each other the way we used to. So is it okay if we split up? And, um, and the pastor says to the husband, he says, well, 
The Bible says you're to love your wife as Jesus Christ loves the church. Can you do that? And the husband looks at the pastor and says, oh, I don't think I can do that. I don't think that's possible. So the pastor then comes back with a second response. He says, if you can't begin at that level, maybe you can begin at a lower level. You're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can you at least love her as you would love your neighbor? And the husband looks at the pastor and says, no, no, that's still too high. I can't quite do that either. And so the pastor tries a third time. He says, well, then, then if that's too high, the, the, he says, the Bible says, love your enemies. Can you start there? Can you start there? And I don't know if you're in the room today and if your enemy is sitting next to you and maybe there's a distance between the two of you or if your enemy is out there but all of us in the room have people that we have conflict with, that we feel a separation from. We feel something that is, that is causing us to be divided. And the Bible today talks about some things about how we're supposed to respond when we find love difficult. Actually, verses 14, 15, and 16, I think, talk about love that's under pressure, how do we love when, when it's under pressure, when love begins to begin to break apart, when people begin to go their separate ways? And then in verses number 17 to 21, I think Paul addresses how do we specifically deal with, with love that comes to loving a world that is opposed to us, that we find ourselves in opposition for, to. And so there are, there are different things. Um, Romans chapter, as we looked at last week, Romans chapter 9 through 13, Paul deals with relationships inside the church. And by the way, could I just tell you, I wrote this in an email to you last night. If you were not here last week and you have not listened to the message from last week, there are, there are times as your pastor, I'm like, I really sense that God wants to say some things to us. I know he's, he's supposed to say some things to us all the time, but there are certain times I'm like, this is like really high and intense in my heart. And this is, last week's message was one of those messages that if you were not here, please go back and listen to it, okay? Go back and listen to it. It's really, really, uh, I think, good stuff for all of us. Um, so we talked about relationships inside the church. And to, this week we're going to talk about relationships outside the church, Although I think that verses 14, 15, and 16, you could also apply to the relationships inside the church, okay? So, so although I've divided them that way, you know, sometimes the Bible isn't nice and clean and cut like I would like it to be in the preaching, you know? Uh, but it's right there for you. So we're going to talk about relationships outside the church. Um, here's some opening questions to you. How do you respond to people who treat you unfairly? How do you respond to people who treat you unfairly? If you've been treated unfairly at some point in your life, would you raise your hand? Come on, look around, folks. It's almost 100%. And by the way, if you haven't felt un, un, you know, treated unfairly, just wait. It's coming. Okay? It's coming. All right? Um, or here's another question. What do you do when you are offended 
let down, or wronged? What do you do when you are offended, let down, or wronged? I've been thinking about this question because, you know, um, I've been reflecting. Yesterday, Jane and I celebrated 34 years of marriage. Hallelujah. And, um, you know, as, as you get to these anniversaries and sometimes you look back and you think about, you know, where you started. You know, I was this um, incredible 22-year-old specimen of beauty when I started. And, um, and it's all been downhill since then. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, it was, uh, it was, it was, but I thought about all the journey we've gone through. And there were times in my journey over the last over 30 years of ministry that some people that I thought loved me turn around and stab me in the back. Okay. That's happened to you. and It's probably happened to me. It has happened to me. You know, there's been times where, where, you know, people that I thought were my friends turned out not to be my friends. Um, and it's really, really hard. And I was the pastor. Okay? And so when you go through those experiences, sometimes you have to, you know, you want to, what do you want to do? When somebody hurts you, you want to do what back to them? What's the natural thing to do? You want to bring hurt back to them. But God says there's a different way. And so we're going to look at this together today because I think the scripture, Jesus said this, before we get to, to the scripture in, in Romans, Jesus said this, you have heard that it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the world does, you know. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not e are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then Jesus says probably one of the most difficult verses in, in, the, in all of his teaching. He said, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. That is a command. And what Jesus is saying to us here is that he is calling his disciples, calling the people who have received his mercy, received his grace, who have been filled with God's love, that you begin to love other people with the love that he has in you, that perfect love of God. That agape love, that love that permeates our, our lives through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, through what Christ has done for us, allows us and gives us the power to love differently than the world does. But that is a source from God, not from you. So if you are having a difficult time loving someone because they have hurt you, because they have offended you, because they have um, um, mistreated you, you need to go back to God and say, God, help me to love the way you would help me to, to, to respond in love. Because he wants us to love differently than everyone else. That is the perfectness that he has here. It is possible, and I want to tell you this, it is possible through the optimism and power of God's grace for you to love every single human being on the planet. I didn't get one amen from that. It's, I understand that. I understand that, Tamara, Tierra. I understand that. We're having a hard time with that because it's not human love. 
It's divine love. It is a love that only God gives to you. And so God gives you. Why would God ask you to do something he didn't think you were capable of doing? He's done it for us. Remember, in view of God's mercy, this is how, what he says your life should be. It's not saying in light of who you are, but in light of who he is that gives you the power to do that. And so these are the three ways to love the world. And I'm, I'm just going to give you some, some real helps here of what Paul says to us in Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. First of all, he says, love should always try to do the right thing. Amen? It should always try to do the right thing. Now, Tierra, I love your responses to me, but you're, you're, you're making me, um, 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 I'm, I, I can't stay on track. So just hang on with me, all right? All right? Bless you. Love you. Um, but love should always try to do the right thing, all right? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, could I just tell you, I'm like, Paul, really? Really? But if we, if we did this through the power of the Holy Spirit, the scripture goes on to say, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So God's wor wor will for us, right in the middle of these, of these seven verses, he says these two things in verses 17 and 18, that we, if our intention is to get up every single day and experience life and say, Lord, help me to do what is right in the eyes of you and in the eyes of the majority of people. Help me to respond. Help me to love the unlovable. Help me to, help me to be kind, to be generous. Help me to be the kind of person you want me to be. I believe if we could really do this, we would have a better world. Amen? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm really, really kind of ticked off at Putin right now. I mean, like, like, really, how long are we going to do what we've been doing in Ukraine now for over six months? How many people have to die? How many soldiers have to go out to the front lines and be slaughtered? How many buildings have to be destroyed? Until finally we go, you know, this is kind of dumb. Can somebody get, a, get their head about them? This is not right. This is not right. And it's the same thing in our own lives. Sometimes we continue to act in ways that perpetuate dysfunction, that perpetuate people being enemies with each other, people feeling angry with each other, people in conflict with each other. And we do that Simply because we don't do the right thing. Paul says as long as if it is possible as far as it depends on you. Not in the other person but on you. On me. On those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior. Those who call us who call ourselves Christians. As long as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Not some of them. That's a pretty big ask, wouldn't you say? But here's what happens so many. When people offend us, when people hurt us, we tend to do this. We avoid the offender, and we shouldn't. 
we avoid them. How many of you have had somebody who's done something to you, or you've been hurt, or you have been, you feel like you've been wronged, and instead of dealing with it, you just remain quiet? You no longer go to that church anymore. You no longer go to that small group anymore. Or you might have a spouse that offended you, and instead of working it out, you just give them the silent treatment. Anybody good at that? We just, we just, we just get silent. We get our own little cocoons. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times that happens in my relationship with my wife for 34 years, and I know it, and she knows it, and something, something's wrong, but nobody wants to bring it up. So I'm ticked off. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. And so one of the first places that I would encourage you of how we are to do the right thing is sometimes we got to sit down with people that have offended us, that have hurt us, and if it is all possible, notice it says, if it is possible, and I know that there are some circumstances it's not possible, but please, if it is all possible, do something about it. Speak. Confront. Pray. Don't just allow it to continue on to the place where you become enemies for life. There's this one guy in my last church in Maryland that the Lord has convicted me this week that I left without dealing with something I should have dealt with. I was so mad at him that I didn't even want to see him. And it was easier for me to let him leave the church without calling him. Because I felt like he did such wrong to me and the body of Christ. This morning at 5 o'clock I wrote him an email and said, hey, we need to talk. We need to talk about what happened in 2016. I know I'm not the pastor of that anymore, but I want to make sure that we are still brothers in Christ. Is there anyone in your life that you're avoiding? That you're avoiding because it's easier than doing the right thing. Paul goes on to say in verse number 16, he says, Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not become conceited. Part of reconciliation that happens in the life of the church and in your life is when you humble yourself enough, when you humble yourself enough, when you are not conceited, as he said earlier, you see yourself in sober judgment. In light of what God's done to you, and you humble yourself enough, and you say, Lord, I want harmony now. I want harmony in my family. I want harmony in my relationships. I want harmony in my neighborhood. I want harmony at my work. I'm not going to keep running away from it anymore. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to talk about it. Jesus said it this way, therefore... 
If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. The Bible says if you want to come in here and worship to God, and you want to praise him, and you want to keep relationships that are out there at an arm's distance. He said, no, first leave your gift and go and fix it. Now, reconciliation takes two. We all agree with that? Takes two. Reconciliation cannot be accomplished by one person. Reconciliation is always something that takes two people coming at it. It takes the offender and the offended. It takes the one who has done wrong and the one who feels like they're a victim to sit down and work it out. And to, to narrow it all down, if I, had to, if I had to draw it all down to two things that need to happen in reconciliation, one person needs to repent and one person needs to forgive. That's what true reconciliation. Reconciliation is not just an overlook of the offense that it no longer matters. Every offense does matter. But the scripture is clear that it is our responsibility for those of us who have Christ in our life, who have been forgiven, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. God has poured out his offering of salvation, of forgiveness to us free of charge. What do we need to do to receive that? We need to acknowledge our own sin, turn from our sin, and receive his forgiveness. That's reconciliation. The same thing happens in human relationships. We need to acknowledge our own wrongdoing and then ask for forgiveness. Or we need to be the person who's been forgiving that offers forgiveness to the one who's done wrong. You will find yourself probably on both sides of that fence. At times in your life, you will be the one who've hurt somebody and it will be your job to go say, I'm sorry. I acknowledge what I have done. Please forgive me. And the person who you are have offended and hurt will have to say, yes, I forgive you. Now you are reconciled. Or the person will say, I'm not ready to forgive you. Or they'll ignore you. And you will do your part, but you will not sense reconciliation because reconciliation always takes two. There will be other times where You've been wronged. You've been hurt. You've been, somebody has done something to you that is, that, is, that is absolutely terrible. And there are times when you will offer that person forgiveness. And they may then repent of their sins or they may not repent of their sins. And that will depend upon them whether, they'll have, which, whether you'll have reconciliation. So... The Bible says do the right thing. Don't avoid. Work out, work out the relationship. Either repent and turn from your ways, acknowledge your ways, ask for forgiveness. Or if you've been wrong, offer forgiveness. But it takes two to ultimately bring reconciliation. Here's the third, the second way that you can love the world. The Bible says love should never lead to vengeance. Love should never lead to vengeance. Notice what Paul says here. 
Do not repay evil for evil. Do I have to explain that? Are we good with that? You good? I mean, do not repay evil for evil. If somebody, somebody does something wrong to you, you don't fix it by doing wrong back to them. Okay? Paul goes on to explain this a little bit more. In verse number 19, he says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. You can never take on the role of being the judge of your universe. You cannot go in the place of God. God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And sometimes we want to be in that place. I know of a story of a, of a woman who was... Um, a victim because her husband had an affair with another woman. And she was so hurt, so hurt, devastated. She focused on that pain and that hurt, and finally he got, she got a divorce, and, and, and he went on to live a life with the new girlfriend, and she had all the toys and all of the money and all of the stuff, and, and she was left trying to, trying to deal with all of the pain of this broken relationship and his infidelity. She worked herself up into a place that she devised a plan to kill him and her took matters into her own hands and hired a hitman. And eventually killed both of them. She took vengeance into her own hands. And ultimately, she went to jail. Now, by the way, that's next week's message when we talk about submission to a government and authorities. Because if there's any justice that happens in this world, it's mostly justice that happens through the laws of the land. And God has empowered a legal, empowered police, and empowered a law system. Now, that is not a perfect justice system. We all know that. But it's the best we have on this side of heaven. But God says, ultimately, don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. You are not the judge. Let God, yeah, you dummy, you hit the thing too fast. You know, let's go back there. And because I've got all these things in here, it takes a while. You are not the judge. And second of all, let, Just judge me. I'm bad. <laughs> you know, the greatest example of this is Joseph forgiving his brothers. I mean, if you know that story in the book of Genesis, it's a wonderful story. You know, Joseph was sold into slavery. He was, he was trying to be killed by his brothers. And years and years later, his brothers are standing before him without him knowing about it. And he offers not accountability, he could have had them killed, he could have thrown them in jail, he could have done a lot of things to them, but because they were family, because God had made promises to them, what does jo Joseph do? Joseph says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
And there are many times where we have to rest in the sovereignty of God where evil things happen to us. And we have to say, Lord, would you help me to submit this to you for your sovereign will to transform my life in such a way that I do not become more evil because of it, but I become better because of it. I become stronger because of it. I become a person that you want me to be. And God takes every pain and doesn't waste it. And Joseph is a perfect example of that. He said, "God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Which leads really to the third way that we're supposed to respond in love. And that love repays evil with good. Love repays evil with good. Look what Paul, look what Paul says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. He says, bless those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but that's not the way of the world. If you persecute me, I'm going to persecute you back. If you do wrong to me, I'm going to do wrong back to you. But the Bible says we are actually supposed to bless those who persecute us. We are, supposed to, we are supposed to bless them in such a way that they feel the presence and power of God in their life. I remember so many different occasions where, when, especially when I was a young Christian, where my friends would make fun of me because I was a Christian. They would make fun of me because I carried a Bible. They would make fun of me because I prayed for my meals at lunchtime in the cafeteria. I remember times when, when I, would, I would be working, a, especially a secular job, and, and, and the guys on the job were all trying to make fun of me because I was a Christian, especially when I was in the military. And what would I do instead of getting mad about it? I would bless them. I would pray for them. I would encourage them. I would be kind to them. I would, I would act in such a way that they would sense the love and power of God in their life. And that's the, what the Bible's trying to, you repay evil with good. Paul goes on to say it this way, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now he's quoting here from Proverbs. And when you read that scripture, you go, well, this sounds good. Your enemy is hungry, feed him. It sounds good that if he is thirsty, you should give him something to drink. But then he goes on to say, you'll heap burning coals. That doesn't sound too good. But this is a Jewish kind of metaphor for what happens when you do good to people who do evil to you? There's some coals. How would that feel on you? Hot? Would it hurt? What, what Paul or, the, or Solomon is trying to teach us here is that when we respond with good when somebody does us wrong, we actually give God an opportunity to change their hearts to draw them back to himself. It actually gives them a, an opportunity to feel shame, to feel remorse, to feel like they have done something wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful way when he thinks so. What is the meaning of her human? It will wake them up. It will wake them up. And when you continuously respond to somebody who is persecuting you, somebody who is doing wrong to you, somebody who is trying to uh, belittle you, 
and you respond in a way that you are kind to them, that you are showing love to them, that you are being gentle and you are being Christ-like to them, at some point the Holy Spirit is going to work in their life and it will wake them up that their behavior is not right. Or the opposite will happen. It will increase God's judgment on them. In other words, they will go further and further away from God and they will go further and further away from God's love and they will sense the judgment of God in their lives. One or two things will happen. Your job is to continuously be kind. Now let me just put a word of caution here. God is not calling you to remain in an abusive relationship Turn the other cheek and let somebody hurt you. That is, that is not persecution. That is malice. That is a crime. Get out. Get away. But know the difference between the two. And sometimes you might need some godly counsel for that on specific circumstances and specific situations where you're trying to determine... Where the line is, and if you're in that place, please reach out to your pastor, your pastoral staff, a counselor, get godly advice and wisdom of how to respond when somebody's doing evil to you by doing good. God wants us to be the kind of people that, that our love heaps burning coals on them in a metaphorical sense that leads them to transformation of their own life. I find no joy in somebody doing the wrong thing and I see the wrong results in their life. Actually, when, when they go down the wrong road because of their wrong choices, it usually leads me to the place where my heart is grieved because of the pain that they continue to suffer because of their own choices. And so what do I do? I pray for them. I love them. I reach out to them. I encourage them. I try to redirect them. I try to point them to Christ. And if they begin to move in the right direction, I start rejoicing. I start praising God. Even though they may at one time been somebody that brought me harm, I am so grateful they, they have been transformed and they're going in the right direction. And that's what Paul was talking about when he says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are not rejoicing over somebody's pain. We are mourning over somebody's pain. We only rejoice when they, when they experience the love and grace of God. If somebody continues to go in the wrong direction and evil and all of the results in their life continue, we mourn over that. We don't find joy in that. Oh, you... You're, you were a liar and a cheater and you, and you stole and you got all kinds of money and now you are in jail for the rest of your life. I don't find a lot of joy in that. I do find joy when they get to jail that they go, I was wrong and now please forgive me and they admit their wrongs and they turn their life over to Jesus. Now I'll rejoice over that. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul is trying to teach us here. Darkness, MLK said, Cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Boy, Martin Luther King did such incredible work in helping our nation overcome the injustice of racism, 
of inequality in our country. And he did it through, not, through a nonviolence, through love, confronting the truth that eventually brought transformation not only just of human lives, but of society itself. But many gave their lives in light of that movement. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that's what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, the last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? So God has given you goodness in you. Go out and be the people of God. Go out and reconcile with those who have wronged you. If it is all possible with you, do the right thing. And by doing that, you will find that God will use you and do amazing things in and through your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Come, worship team. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just helping us to be reminded of this lesson of how we are to love the way you've called us to love. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that continuously forgives us and transforms us. I pray that we could love the unlovable, that we could respond when we've been hurt, when we've been mistreated in a way that, Lord, would draw people back to yourself. Help us, O oh God. I thank you for your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.